All right. So this is a pretty big, pretty big deal. We've been trying to launch this thing for a couple of years, and uh, it's going to be all online. And then we have a ministry training program that follows that, and this is a pretty big moment for us. Uh, we're starting it, and it should be good. And one of the reasons why we're starting it is 96% of all born-again believers don't know their Bible, from, have never even read their Bible from Genesis to Revelation, let alone have a working knowledge of the Scripture. And so if we have to understand that the Scripture is the foundation of this faith and that the Scripture is the language of the Spirit, everything the Holy Spirit does, He does in the context of the Scripture. Everything the, the Holy Spirit speaks, He speaks from the Scripture. He, that's the whole idea. So if you have never been to that, you should sign up and uh, become a part of that and get that going in your life. So we're talking about a fresh start. Anybody like basketball at all here? Yeah, we got basketball fans, all right? Let's go Heat. Let's go Heat, right? So when they have in sports, they have something called a timeout. And they use timeouts for various reasons. And basketball is really unique with the way that they use timeouts, okay? So in Football, they use timeouts to kind of control the clock. But one of the things uh, basketball does is they use timeout to kind of reset things. So they call timeouts in basketball if the team is losing points and they're going to lose the lead. They call timeouts if they're getting overrun and the other team is outscoring them. Or they call timeouts when there's dysfunctional play, when the team isn't actually functioning as they're supposed to function. One of the things that's supposed to happen when the team goes back out on the floor from a timeout is they're supposed to have a fresh start. They're supposed to start doing things differently than they did the last time they were out on the floor. Right? Game plans, changes are supposed to happen, and they're supposed to begin to do things differently. Well, whether we like it or not, we've all kind of been in a timeout for the last two years. Can I get a witness here at all? Right? We didn't call this timeout. It's timeout got called on us. And so COVID caused the timeout and not necessarily a good one for a lot of people. And so what this gives us an opportunity, one of the things that this has done is that it gives you an opportunity to start things differently. It gives you an opportunity to do things differently than, were hap than was going on before in your world. But I want you to say this first. Jesus. Jesus. There we go. Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Did not cause COVID, but he will use it. He'll use it, right? He didn't orchestrate this. He didn't cause it. This isn't God's will, nor is it God's judgment. This is circumstances that God will use, and he'll turn it around. And what's happened is, is in, this, in these moments of change, is sort of society's kind of emerging from all of this, and Florida didn't feel it that bad because we didn't really do these severe lockdowns. But as, as everybody's kind of coming out, there's been changes that have happened in society that are pretty much here to stay. Remote work is here to stay. It is, right? Thank God, somebody said, right? So they're all trying to shut their, all these companies are trying to get their employees to come back to work, and they're having a hard time getting them to come back to work, right? So these guys have been home, and, and Apple has been the most recent one. Apple implemented a policy a couple of months ago in March, and they're saying, in May, all of our employees are going to come back three days a week where there was such a revolt with their engineers that 60% in some departments were saying, we're going to go get other jobs that enable us to work remotely. Now, Apple has backpedaled, and now they backed off on this three-day-a-week thing. So what's happened is, is that society has changed in some ways for the worse, in some ways for the better. And, but there's things that have changed that aren't going back, right? They're just not going back. There's an opportunity to remote. And what ends up happening is people have been home with their kids, and they're like, why am I working 60 hours a week again? Right? Why am I getting in a car and going to commute? I can do all this from my laptop sitting here with my, you know, son, and I can go eat in my own kitchen, and, you know, and, and people are realizing that they don't have to do things the way that they had to do, so there's an opportunity there. People have moved towards free states. Are you aware of that? If you're from New York, we welcome you. If you're from the eastern seaboard, we welcome you. We Floridians humbly ask that you just do us one favor. Please stop voting for liberals. That's all we ask. Please stop voting for the leftists, right? We vote, they create these states, these states become oppressive, then people move from these oppressive states to the free states, and they still vote for the same type of idiot that they voted in up there. It's like, that's right. <laughs> I, like a cow I like a governor that wears python cowboy boots, all right? That's, that's, 
Ronnie D, right? It's like, we're no messing around. So in the last year, 285,000 people have moved to Florida. That's five times. That's one, in one year, that's the average growth. So, so that's basically five years of growth in one year. 80,000 LLCs were formed in like less than seven months, an accountant friend told me. So you don't think businesses are moving to Florida? You don't think people are moving to Florida? They're in mass exodus, they're leaving these places. California has the same thing. These are realities. These are things that are happening. And what, what, so one of the good things is, it's like people are not gonna let people oppress them anymore. They're refusing to submit to oppressive governments that are on lockdown. It's crazy. Canada still can't travel, which is, again, insane to me. They're still on lockdown. They still don't let their people can't move, go anywhere. Like, who, who are you, right? I mean, I'm an American. I'm born and bred, so I, I, I'm born free. I, I believe that the government serves the people. The people don't serve the government. That's where I come from anyway. Like, who are you to tell me I can't do that? I mean, that's, call me what you want, but that's just how I see it. But there's been a lot of growth that's happened in, in, in these things. There's transitional things that are happening. People are moving. It's a positive thing. Online shopping has increased 60%. Anybody do more online shopping than they did before? We all do, right? I'm like, I didn't know Amazon could deliver toilet paper. I'm like, why am I going to the grocery store? And I have these fascinations. I'm like, oh, I got to go to the grocery store. And I'm thinking, why? I'm going to go to the computer. And they'll drop it right at my front door, right at my driveway. I'm like, why am I going? Then every now and then, I don't know if you've done this lately, you go to the grocery store, and then you're standing in line, and you're like, why am I here? This is going to take me 20 minutes to get through this line. You know, I was just there the other day. I'm thinking, I'm going to go to the grocery store. And, of course, Sherry's like, oh, here's the list. And then I'm standing in this 20-minute line going, why am I here? But online shopping, is again, it presents a lot of opportunities. Some of you... There's more opportunities even for your business to, be, to go online and to do dip, a lot of diversification that's happening. There's opportunities in this. This is what I want to share with you. People are evaluating their life. They have time to spend something new. They, what happened with COVID is all this lockdown made people, for better or worse, take a look at their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Suicide rates jumped because people are like, my life sucks. And people are doing, there's a lot of hopelessness that came from it. Yeah. There, there really is, and people need Jesus. That's one of the reasons the, the church has to present a message of hope because hope's not going to come from other places. If you're looking for the culture to bring you hope, the, hope, the, the culture's not going to bring you hope. If you're looking for the culture to try to pick you up and you're going to watch the evening news to kind of give you some message of hope, it's not going to happen. What the world does is picks up dirt and just throws dirt on you. You know, you're down in the dumps and you, they don't give you a hand up. They're shoveling it down on you. They want to bury you. It's the way this world and this society is. The people who carry hope are the believers. Jesus is our hope, and we carry hope. What people realized during COVID is that they were alive, but they were not living. True. Right? The mirror would fog, but they were not living. They were not feeling alive. There's a lot of Christians who receive the life of Christ, but are not fully living. And this is what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. My job is to teach you, to encourage you to become and to rise to the level of your purpose and your growth. The idea behind the teaching of the gospel is to not just bring you the message of Christ, but to bring you the message of destiny, God's purpose in it all. It's for not only you to come to know him, but for you to realize what and why you were created. To help you discover, deploy, and develop your purpose. That's part of my job. One of the things that happens through, during COVID, so we have to have hope, we have to have a way to, to move forward, but anybody have, feel like their energy levels are lower than they were before COVID? You can be honest, right? The reason for that, there's actually a, a, a biological reason, it's stress, right? There's, there's different things. What happens when the body's under stress is it releases cortisol and it releases adrenaline. Cortisol and adrenaline are good things in short runs, but cortisol and adrenaline over long terms is called chronic stress, and it actually deteriorates the nervous system, right? Causes autoimmune diseases, one of the things it does. Causes a lot of restlessness, a lot of, a lot of instability. And people have been under stress for a very long time. Now, there's traumatic things that happen that cause that level of stress, but there's also things like events like this that happen. And w w the biggest thing is fear. The stressors that were happening during COVID was nobody knew what was going to happen. It was always uncertain. Everything was unsure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just don't know what's going on. What's happening? What's going on? What's going on? It's happening. And the messaging was just constant fear. 
constant fear. My biggest pet peeve is that the people that are supposed to be the hope dealers were the ones telling the Christian to run to the hills. Churches, run to the hills! Save yourself! You know, people are going to do what people are going to do. But the leader cannot tell people to run to the hills, right? Jesus doesn't speak fear. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak fear, Christian. Uh, you know, th this needs to be kind of understood. If you're a believer, you need to understand that any decision that's made in fear is the wrong one. The Holy Spirit does not speak fear. That is not his language. He doesn't even understand fear. Peter's walking on the water, and he falls in the water, and Jesus picks him up by the hands. He said, why were you afraid? Jesus wasn't afraid. Peter's walking in an impossible situation. Other people would drown in that situation. Not the believer. The believer can walk through what other people sink in. That's one of the messages of that story. You have the power to transcend and move through what other people will sink in. You are above only and not beneath. You're sons and daughters of the highest. You are not common. You are not average. You are called to be exceptional. Be what you are. Become what you are. Anybody, any movie fans here at all? Let me see Lord of the Rings. Second one, right? Lord of the Rings. It's okay. First service was all like, no, no, no. No, we don't watch movies. Don't watch movies. I'm looking at the dude, and I'm like, I know you've got a Gandalf costume in your, in your bat, in your, in your closet. I've seen it. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Right? So in the second movie, The Lord of the Rings, in the movie, uh, the, the city is being overrun, all right? So Gondor's being overrun. And the, the city has the capacity to withstand everything that's being thrown against it. But its leadership is weak. It's a king who is filled with fear. And he keeps telling all of the soldiers and everybody to run for their lives. Run for your lives! Run for your lives! Anybody know what happens when Gandalf whacks him in the head? He whacks that king in the head. He whacks fear right in the head. And then he reminds these soldiers of who they are. He said, you are soldiers of Gondor. You will defend that gate. This is who you are. You're not born for fear. He tells them, you are soldiers of Gondor. You will defend that gate. Anything that comes against that gate, you will stand against it. You are sons and daughters of the highest. You are not part of this culture. You are in this world, but you are not of it. You are above only and not beneath. I don't know if anybody's taught you that message yet, but I'm going to teach it to you. You are called to be above only and not beneath. But we're meek. We're meek, pastor. We're supposed, blessed are the meek. They inherit the earth. Anybody know what meekness really means? Meekness is power under control. Meekness is not, meek, say it with me. Meekness, meekness does not mean doormat. Meekness is power under control. There was nobody more powerful than Jesus, nor was there anyone more meek than Jesus. But Jesus had his power under control. He knew when to use it, and he knew how to use it. That's meekness. Meekness is just, you're not all over the place. It's a, you're powerful, but you use it for the right ways. You're effective with what you're given. We're called. We're different. We're separated. You are not average. We are the salt of the earth, the cities on the hill. It's what we are. The light of the world is who the Christian is. And collectively, we're a powerful force. Individually, we're a bunch of candles, but together we're a blazing power that can illuminate any darkness. We've got to come to terms with that. And while the city was being overrun, Gandalf reminds them who they are. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves who we are, what we are. Stress overcomes all of this stuff. So like all the stress we've been under, do you know the only thing that gets you out of this, out of this circumstance, the only thing that kind of gets you out of the pit, there's only one thing that will cause someone to rise when they're down. Only one thing. It's called hope. Nothing else will cause a person to rise unless they have hope. Hopelessness is the, is the pit of despair. People will disappear and go live in caves out of the result of hopelessness. The only thing that causes us to rise is hope. And so we have got to have hope. And as a Christian, you have hope. You are the only people in the world who have legitimate hope. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? You have the Holy Spirit. You have a hope and a destiny, a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. If we're looking for hope from outside places, you will not find it. Hope will not come to you through CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, any of these outside places. I don't care what radio show you listen to. Hope's not coming through those situations. Hope comes from the Lord. That's where it comes from. 
So if you've been down and out and, you know, and you're, you've been in a timeout and you're having a hard time getting going, listen, let me give you hope. Hope means that things can change and things will change. There's always hope. Do you know that? Say it with me. There's always hope. As long as I'm breathing, that's right, there's hope. That's right. You still have a purpose. As long as you're breathing, your purpose is still alive. As long as you're breathing, there's hope. Story after story, one of the clearest illustrations of that. Again, I'll just use this story because it's a very clear illustration. The boy would throw himself into the fire, right? The epileptic kid, the kid who was having seizures. Disciples are just coming down from the mountain. Jesus has just shown his select few who he really is. He transfigured. He showed himself who he was. So these disciples have just witnessed who Jesus was. Jesus comes down from the mountain, and the, the other disciples that didn't go up there are having a theological debate. They're having an argument with the Pharisees. Meanwhile, there's a father with a son whose boy is having major issues. And the father comes to Jesus and says, can you, if you can do anything, help me. If there's anything you can do, help me. And he said that all things are possible to those that believe. And the father said, I believe, but help my unbelief. The unbelief is believed that he is motioning to his son, right? I believe because they looked at their family as an extension of themselves. But there's a part of me clearly that doesn't believe. Help my son. And he said, I brought him to your disciples and they could do nothing. And what did Jesus say? Faithless generation. How long must I bear with you? Right? And the boy, when Jesus said that, the boy fell down and he was dead. Everybody pronounced him dead. He's dead. Jesus like sticks his hand out and takes the boy and picks the boy up. No one, as long as the Lord's hand is extended in your direction, it's not over, Christian. You understand that? It's not over. And God's hand is always in your direction. Is there hope? 100% there's hope. Rise. But I'll fall today. It doesn't matter. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. Move forward. Hope is what enables you to change. Hope is what enables you to come and rise from the circumstances that you're in. 1 Peter 1.3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his mercy has given birth to us into a living hope. We not only have hope, we have a hope that's alive. We don't have hope that's kind of abstract. It's just this thing that's out there. We have a hope that lives within us, a living hope. Christ is in us. He's alive in us. He was given us a living hope through the resurrection of the dead, and he's brought us into an inheritance that can never perish. You have an inheritance in this world and in the one to come. You have an activated power and a presence of this kingdom that is yours by right of inheritance in this world and in the one to come. There's a living hope. What does living hope look like? What does it look like to have living hope, right? I'll tell you a couple things. Number one, living hope turns negatives into positives, right? Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. God will turn it around, Christian. God will take your mess and he will do something with your mess. Do you believe that? There is no circumstance that God can't turn around. There's no situation that God can't turn around. He is capable. You have to have hope. I've failed. Well, it's not about you. It's about him, right? It's not about your incapability. It's about his capability. The, the, one of the biggest revelations that I think that particularly Christians have to come to is that they can't do it. You don't have the ability to do it. And so that makes this other attitude where we say, well, God's going to do everything. Well, Jesus isn't going to say this with me. Jesus isn't going to do it for me. He's going to do it with me. I cannot do it without him, and he will not do it without me. It's always a partnership. Yeah? And sometimes that partnership is merely inviting him into the circumstance. God stands outside of your circumstances because you have not invited him into your circumstances. Everything the Lord does, he does by permission. You have to understand this. So this idea that God's going to do what God wants to do is not true at all. He's sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's delegated authority to man. He holds sovereignty still over a couple of areas, but for the most part, he's, he yields this world to us. The heavens, even the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given unto man. And God will intervene in our lives in, only when we ask him to. The Holy Spirit only abides where he is wanted, and he only does what he is asked. He never does what he is not asked. God will not do for you unless you've asked him. 
your house will burn to the ground. You'll say, well, God doesn't care. And I'm like, have you asked him? Have you asked him to do anything? He, he, he does not impose himself upon you. This is a communal relationship. You have to say, God, Lord, Jesus, here's my marriage. Will you fix it? Here's my business. Will you fix it? Here's my life. Will you fix it? And he'll begin to work with you in that process. But he's not doing it without you. There are things probably that you can't do that require only him to do. But he's still not doing it without an invitation. If you don't invite him, it's not happening. It's why a lot of the, look at your life and you wonder why these things aren't moving or why, God, why this isn't happening. And this is, does God not care? Well, of course he cares. But he doesn't move on that. He moves on faith. Faith is your ability to ask him, Lord, I believe you're good, you're kind, you're generous, you're loving, and you're capable. Will you help me? And he moves on that. People want, they don't want the Holy Spirit. They don't want to say, oh, I don't want God imposing in my life. You don't have to worry. He never will if you don't invite him. The Lord will never be where he is not wanted. You don't want Jesus in your marriage? I tell people all the time, don't worry, he won't be there. You don't want Jesus in your money? Don't worry, if you don't invite him, he won't be there. You don't have to worry about the Lord ever imposing himself beyond your will because he will not. He will not. You must invite him and you must ask him. He doesn't go, say with me, Jesus, we can relate the Holy Spirit too, does not go where he is not wanted, and he will not do what he has not asked. That's right. So true. You have to understand that. You have to be willing to understand that God, I have to want him in my relationship. I have to want him in these areas. This is, again, why Christians have surrendered their lives to Christ, and they become born again, and they're saved, and they're forgiven, eternally destined unto heaven, but their lives are absolute train wrecks. Every other area of their life is a complete disaster, but they're born again and they're saved. Why is that? Because these areas of their life, they have not submitted unto his lordship. There are areas of your life where there is no submission. You have to yield your time. You have to yield your talent. You have to yield your, your, your treasure. There are areas. I get Christians all the time tell me, don't tell me how to use my body. Oh, no, I'm doing what I want. And I'm like, okay, you know, all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. You know, that isn't going to condemn you, but it certainly isn't going to benefit you. God's not going to bless that. You know, I do what I want with my time. So be it. Then don't, wait, don't be surprised when all of your time is gone like a vapor and it's wasted and you produce nothing. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's the one that produces the harvest. He's the one that causes things to be fruitful and multiply. It's him, right? So if, if the Lord of the harvest isn't invited into that area, he's not going to happen. You got to realize that. Right? This is the whole idea. It's moving past salvation, moving unto sanctification. You're already set apart spiritually. Sanctification is you're set apart. You're no, longer part, you're no longer condemned in your sin. You belong to the Lord. But you have to live this out. You have to begin to rise to the level of your birth. You're a son and a daughter. Live that way. Right? That's the idea. What, what areas of your life are not under his submission? We have to ask these hard questions. We think that it's just this blanket acceptance. You can have blanket acceptance. You're loved. The Bible says you're double-minded in all your ways. If the Lord says this and you say that, that's fine. You can do that. You can be double-minded. But Scripture tells us if God says this and you say that, you will be unstable. That's the first thing he says. You'll be unstable in all your ways. There'll be nothing but instability here. And let that person believe they will receive nothing from the Lord. He said, listen, it's cool. You can do what you want, but you need to adjust your expectations because God's not blessing that. So the question has to become, what do I want? Do I want God's favor? Do I want God's blessing? God's blessing and God's favor comes through submission to lordship. Right? That's, that's really what it is. This is sanctification. This is what brings us forward. We have people tell me things all the time. They're saying, well, this is what I think I should do. And I just let people talk until they ask me the question. And they'll ask me, is it right? And I'll go, no, that's not right. But you can keep doing it if you want to. <laughs> a lot of areas where this happens. We have a living hope. Listen, God's not against you. God's not against you. There are circumstances that are happening in your life because there are unreconciled areas. There's a lot of different things. There's open doors from the devil. Some of you are faithful Christians. And the devil runs, runs, runs just rips you to shreds. Well, you probably have open doors there. That's another issue. That's part of sanctification, right? Sanctification is setting myself apart. What part of my life is there still a claim? 
There are curses, people. Generational curses live, are, are a real thing. Very real thing. Right? Everybody in poverty down your whole family line, that's not normal. That's spiritual. Right? Everybody in family dies before the age of 40. I had a lady tell me that one time. Every, every, every marriage, every, she had like four marriages in her family. I'm thinking, man, I need to give somebody a warning before they marry into this family. But every husband had died before they were 40 years old. Three. And one of her husbands had died. So three of her family members all had early deaths in her marriage, in their, in their family. And her husband died too. Right? That's normal. That's not normal. That's not normal at all. There are things that happen in our lives that are related to other things outside they're, they're just very real things. Trauma is another thing that affects us. Wounds, pains, and traumas are, are things that affect us and create this inability for us to move forward. These are all different things. But you have a living hope. God will take your mess and change it. This is what you need to know. There is hope. There is hope. I've been a Christian for a really long time. So those of you who don't know anything about me, I'm not an, I'm not an observer. I'm a practitioner. If it doesn't work, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what works and what doesn't work. I'm not going to stand up here and shine and buff it for you and make you pretend like all this is what works because it doesn't. I don't want a faith that I observe. I want a faith that works. I want a power that overcomes. I'm declared to be an overcomer, so let's overcome. I'm declared to be above only and not beneath, so let's be above only and not beneath. I will be beneath nothing. Now, no circumstance will rule me. Where's your faith? right? And if a circumstance is ruling me, I want to know why, because that's not my inheritance, and that's not the promise that's over my life. We, we yield to things that are not God's will. They're not God's will. They're not. So it's not shiny, happy people. It's victorious sons and daughters, heirs, living and manifesting their inheritance, overcoming power. Don't you want that? doesn't mean you don't go through things, it just, but you overcome it, man. And you have victory, 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 victory over every area of your life, not just the circumstances. How about victory over fear? Can we talk about that one? Right? How about victory over disease? Well, we all got to die. My friend Jordan up in New York, she told me one thing. She said, I know I got to die, Kevin, but disease isn't taking me. And I was like, now there's faith. She's like, I'm not rotting away. On a, in a hospital bed with tubes in my arms. She said, that's not the way I'm going. So, you know, how about victory over disease? How about that? How about victory in all these different areas? How about victory in your family? It's the thought. So it's a living hope. We have a living hope. God will turn your negatives into positives. A living hope tells you it's not over. Everybody say, it's not over. If Jesus didn't say it's not over, if Jesus didn't say it's over, then it's not over. I'm going to share a story with you from Mark chapter 5. So here's Jesus, and he's, he just came into this city, and the leader of the synagogue, whose name is Jairus, comes up to him, and he says, my daughter is sick, Jesus. Will you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yes. He never says no. Show me one place where Jesus said no to heal. Show me one. You won't find one. Doesn't, there's nowhere where Jesus said no to healing. That's another story. But anyway, so Jesus said yes. And so Jesus is walking with him. And as he's walking with him, all the crowd sees him because he's like rock star. And so the crowd is just mobbing him. People are mobbing him, right? Crowd surfing, trying to touch him, trying to get to him. Peter's shoving people out of the way. Get out of here. Get out of here. Woman with the issue of blood grabs him in the same scene, right? He's on his way to Jairus' house. The woman with the issue of blood grabs him. He heals her. She's healed through touching him. Jesus has a conversation with her. And when he's finished with the conversation with the woman, a servant from Jairus' house shows up. And that's where the story picks up. Matthew chapter 5 says, While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and says, Your daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he looked at the ruler of the synagogue and he said, Don't be afraid. Only believe. Like, who told you she's dead? Did I say she's dead? It's because this brother's telling you he's dead. doesn't mean she's dead. If I didn't say it, she's not dead. Do you get this? She's dead. Jesus is like, nah, she ain't dead. Nah. Do, do you understand this? You guys getting this? And he permitted no one to follow him in except Peter, James, and John. And he came to the ruler of the synagogue's house, 
and there was a tumult. So back in the day, they would hire weepers, right? So we, they would hire people to cry at funerals because they wanted everybody to know how much this person was loved. And there's a lot of stories off that I could tell, but I'm not going to tell you that. But they wanted to know, so they would hire these professional weepers. So there was the professional weepers are there, and they're all crying. It's kind of like call up a service, you know. Yeah, hey, you know, how much is your service? Oh, it's 100 bucks for the day. Okay, well, make sure you bring that chick Judy, because she can cry like crazy. She's really wild in her tears. I really want her. I want everybody to know. So this is kind of how it was. People would be just crying and screaming when somebody died, but there would be legitimate family members that would be there too. And so Jesus shows up and the Tulmet is, is now there. He's the synagogue. He's the leader of the synagogue. So there's going to be a lot of people there. Jesus shows up, shows up at the house, sees the Tulmet. He only takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he says to them, why are you weeping? And why is all this commotion? What's up with this upheaval? This girl is not dead. She's merely sleeping. And the Bible says they mocked him and they laughed at him, Right? Do you mock God or do you laugh at God when he gives you an impossible promise? Do you laugh or mock that God could, can't do something or that he can't do it for you? Could it be that a barrier between your miracle is your attitude towards what it is that he says? Just a thought. I know that was my problem. I'll share with you my problem. I never saw miracles until I started laying hands on the sick. And I used to lay hands on the sick. I was not afraid to do so, but I was doing it the wrong way. I didn't know what I was doing, right? And I used to actually, I'll just give you mine because I know y'all are more spiritual than me so you can stretch your hands forward and you can pray for me. I'm all right with that. I used to laugh. I had a friend of mine, a guy that I know, and he would talk about these crazy miracles. I've shared this story before. And he would talk about these crazy miracles. Anybody ever heard miracle stories that you're like, oh, come on, man. Come on. I, I mean, maybe you haven't. Maybe you, maybe you believe every story you've ever heard. But I was having a problem with not all of his stories, but a couple of the stories I was just like, that's crazy. Come on. Right? And this guy would say in his, in his talk that I was listening to, I know the guy, he said, I lay hands on 200 people a week. I pray for 200 people a week. He prays for healing for 200 people a week. And so here I am mocking and scoffing, right, in my own little attitude, my own little selfishness. I know you're above that, but that's okay. And I start talking to the Lord about it. I don't talk to people. I'm like, come on, Lord, are you trying to tell me that happened? And Jesus says to me, how many people have you laid hands on? He laid hands on 200 people a week. I probably hadn't laid hands on 200 people in 10 years. And the Lord says to me, if you lay hands on 200 people a week, Kevin, and you do it the way I tell you to, maybe you'll see some of these miracles too. Yeah, I put my hand over my mouth, right? And you know what happened? I started doing it. I started changing. I started approaching it differently. I started learning, you know? I started unlearning and relearning miracles crazy miracles, crazy, crazy, crazy miracles. Woman with complete brain, uh, Connie was, I do have one witness, Connie was here. There was no one here, it was, two, it was not this Easter, but the Easter before uh, they bring this girl here. She'd been in a terrible accident, I didn't know anything about her. Long story short, she was in this terrible accident and I'm sitting down with her and she's extremely antagonistic against Jesus. She doesn't wanna hear it, don't tell me about Jesus, I'm here because my family member brought me, I don't want you to tell me anything. Don't tell me anything about Jesus. And I said, okay. I said, well, I said, um, I go, I know you don't want to talk about Jesus, but I said, it's okay if he talks to you. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, okay. And so I gave her this prophetic word and it was, she was really just like kind of shocked at that. And so I'm sitting there with her and I'm asking the Lord, I'm like, what do you want me to do? And he said, ask her what's wrong with her. And of all the things that are wrong with her, what's the thing that bothers her the most? And she had a lot of things wrong with her. She starts, I didn't even realize this. She was in a car accident. She had been opened up. She, uh, both sides of her brain were not communicating. She had a slight speech impediment and her arm was like, kind of like this. So I'm thinking she's going with the arm, right? And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm going to pray for the arms where I'm thinking I'm going. And she said, I can't run. I went, you can't run? And she said, no, the, the lobes of my brain do not communicate correctly. And she said, when I run, I fall over. And so I'm like, okay, right? Stands up. Pray for her, whole nine, give it everything I got, do it as the Lord, as I know to do, laid hands on her. I ran with her the first time, hold her hand back this way, ran with her back this way, held her hand, then we started running again, I let her hand go, she's running back and forth in front of the, the whole thing, right, right? There's a lot less ones. That's a, that's a really dramatic, powerful one. But we have a lot, there's a lot of miracles besides that. One of the things I was praying when I was laying hands on her, and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, and I had my hands on her. I was laying for her, my hands on her, and I, and I heard the Lord say, she's going to feel vibration in her brain. I said, I just want you to feel like, I want you to feel vibration. I'm just saying what he's saying. 
And I said, I want you to feel like, like there's vibration going on in your brain, all this stuff. And then at the end, and so I do things called after action reports. So I'll go back and I'll talk to the Lord and I'll say, why did you do that? What was going on there? I try to learn, right? And so I'll ask him, I'll say, what was the vibration for? And he said, I was adjusting the frequencies. If you know anything about your brain, your brain works off frequencies, right? I didn't, you know, I was just tripping, man. But wild stuff, wild stuff, wild stuff. I could tell you more stories. I love talking about healing because it's just dramatic. I'm into the prophetic, but I love healing. I love healing. When healing happens, it's like, whoop, there it is. It's right in front of you. There it is, right? There's no denying that. And so God, she, Jesus t- takes this girl by the hand. He raises her up. He says, Talitha Kumai. He puts the mockers out of the room. If you want a miracle and you want a promise, you need to hear the promise of God in your heart and you need to put away from you every single thing that mocks what God told you. What mocks what God told you? Do you mock? Is there a part of you that mocks? Then you put that part of you outside of the room. Jesus didn't let the mockers come in the room. He didn't let unbelief come in the room. You got to let that, you got to like, whoever's around you that is against anything that God has told you you are going to be or you're going to become, you got to silence those voices. You have to silence those voices. And if there's a part of you that feels dead, everybody say it with me, Talitha Kumai. Little girl, rise. That's what Jesus said to her. Everybody says you're dead. I say rise. They count you out. I say rise. You got to tell yourself that. You've got to rise up. The Lord is not telling you to roll over and put a, you know, get ready to die. He's telling you to rise. He's telling you to come up from where you are. It's important to know that. You have to silence these negative voices. You have to silence these toxic voices that are coming against what God has told you you could be and what you could have. John chapter 10. Jesus put the mockers out of the room. He gave a promise and he fulfilled it. He gave them a promise. This girl's sleeping. She's not dead. He gave a promise to the father. She's not dead. She's sleeping. He promised her she's not dead. Now the father could have mocked and he would have lost his miracle. The father could have listened to all these other people mocking, and he could have lost his miracle. You got to stop listening to these mockers, man. You got to stop listening to these negatives. You got to engage the Holy Spirit and put these people that say all these things outside. You got to pursue it. So this word hypomeno means move under pain. Greek word in the English, we translate it endurance. In the Greek, it's a word called hypomeno. It says, let endurance have its perfect work, or let patience have its perfect work. It's hypomeno, moving under pain. It hurts to pursue destiny. Yes, it does. Do it anyway. It hurts to follow Jesus. Yes, it does. Do it anyway. It hurts to serve the Lord. Yes, it does. Do it anyway. It hurts to do what's right. I mean, pick one. Do it anyway. The Bible calls us to hypomeno. In American church culture, we tell you if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. If it's uncomfortable for you, if the pillow's not fluffed in the right way, you don't have to do it. The gospel is the antithesis of that. It's completely against it. Be faithful unto death. That doesn't sound like pillow fluffing to me. I send you out as lambs among wolves. That, again, doesn't sound safe for the whole family, right? But that's not the messages we espouse in our churches. We want it safe for the whole family. We wonder why we don't have kingdom, because we're, we're not in line with what it's saying, right? We're not teaching what it's saying. It's safe and comfortable for us. You want destiny? Move under pain. God's looking for a people that will hear what he says, put a rag on their head, a knife in their teeth, and will fight for what is theirs. And will change in every way that's possible and that is necessary in order to have what he told them they could have. It is your father's honor to give you his very best. It is his honor. He is honored with endowing his people. It is your honor unto him to pursue his very best. It is your honor unto him to receive his very best. When you don't pursue what is God's best, you're not honoring him, you're dishonoring him. Because his honor is to endow you. That's his honor to you. Anybody like honoring their children? right? You, you just want your kid to be the most disrespected, dishonored kid, the most, you know, nobody wants that. You want your kid well-dressed. You want your kid well-educated. You want your kid, you, you want the best for your child because it's your honor, right? Your father's the same way. He's the same way. He wants his be- your best. Here's John chapter 10, right? This is John chapter 10 says, the thief does not come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. What's God saying here? He's saying to you, I didn't make this mess, but I'm here to clean it up. (laughs) Jesus doesn't make your mess, Christian, but he can clean it up. He says, make no mistake, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
There was a fallen angel, a fallen devil that rejected God's presence and fell. And man formed an allegiance with him. And when man formed an allegiance with him, sin entered time and space. And sin has corrupted our nature, corrupted our world, and corrupted our systems. The whole world has fallen. And Jesus is like, I've come with the answer. I've come to bring life, right? I've come to bring healing. I've come to bring restoration. I've come to bring this. He's like, this mess is not because of me. This mess is broken people, broken choices, broken places, broken systems, bad devil. That's why all this stuff exists. Jesus is not the author of the problem. He's the author of the solution. He is the one and only solution. The hope of the world and the hope of mankind. And he says this, he uses this word zoe, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Every part of us, we're a three-part being, we're a body, in the Greek it's called soma, we're a soul which is mind, will, and emotion, it's called suke, and we're a spirit, and it's called pneuma. The life in the body is called bios, it's where we get the word biology. The soul is the same life within the soul, suke is suke, but the life in the spirit is zoe. So people can be spiritually alive, or spiritually living, but not spiritually alive. Scripture says, apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Yeah, you have a personality, but you're not fully alive. When Jesus said he's come to give you life, he's talking about this Zoe that comes into you. When you receive Christ as Lord, life comes into you. Power comes into you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. You were dead, but now you live. You become fully alive and animate. And there was just something animated about you that didn't exist before. And that person is real to you every time you enter into the Spirit. All right? So the Christian has the ability to be in the spirit or be out of the spirit. Human beings, don't, other people don't have that ability, but Christians do. You can be spiritually full or you can be spiritually empty. That's why the scripture says walk in the spirit. Get in the spirit, right? And you're a new person when you're in the spirit, are you not? You love, you can forgive, you're cool. When you're not in the spirit, you want to kill people. You want to drive more, you know, it's like, you know what I'm talking about? You're like not very patient at all. It's true. That's the duality. But we have access to that person. Jesus has come to give us life. It's a life that only he can give. Zoe comes only through Jesus. It means to team, to radiate. It means life within living. It is a life that flows, say it with me, a life that flows with consciousness, vigor, intellect, wisdom, and joy. It's all the stuff that happens when you're in the spirit. When you're in a spirit, you have a consciousness that you, you, you think you're a genius when you're in a spirit, don't you? Come on, anybody here? You know, you feel like you can solve the world's problems when you're in a spirit. You're like, I don't know what the problems are here. These problems are pretty obvious. Then you get out of the spirit and you don't even know what day it is, right? Like, where did genius go? Well, genius is in the spirit. You're, you know, it's just kind of like that. So it's a life that overflows. We have this Zoe life that Christ comes to give us. So God's come to give you life. He's come to give you life to the full. Life is compared to water. So th watch this. This life that Jesus gives us, water does several things. First thing water does, water creates its own path, doesn't it? Anybody ever seen the Grand Canyon? Water can cut through rock. So what happens when you live an immersed life and when the Spirit becomes, when it becomes the center part of your being and it becomes the practice that you have, the Spirit of God and following Him and living immersed in and with Him, you have an ability to cut through territory. You have an ability to create a path that didn't exist before. Another thing that water does is it causes everything to rise. You want your life to rise? There's an immersive life in the spirit that you are called to connect to, and it causes your life to rise. And this one's my favorite. Water cannot be contained. You cannot put water, if you continue to increase the volume of water in any given vessel, it will burst. We put dams up and create reservoirs, but they have to open the floodgates of the dam to keep the dam from bursting because water, as it increases in volume, cannot be contained. You want your life to break out? Well, maybe there's a, a key here. You need a path through an insurmountable path? Well, maybe there's a key here. You need your life to rise? Well, maybe there's a key here, right? And it's this Zoe life, this life that's in Christ. It's this relational life within the spirit. Jesus has come to give it to you. He's come to give it to you abundantly. It's persios is the Greek word, which means fullness. I, you, I tell you all the time, you're not called to measure, you're called to fullness. It says it right here. 
I've come to give you the spirit-engaged life, this amazing immersiveness, and I've come to give it to you without measure. Above average is the also word for, the, for that. So that's what I tell you too. Like, why do you settle for average when you're called to be exceptional? Amen. It is to be a flow that's continual and without containment. So, just going to wrap it up right here, all right? <laughs> if you want a fresh start, right? So just, these are all the things that God's come to give you. You've got to realize that God's come to give you abundance. He, he, it's his gift to you. It's his desire for you to live a life fully. It's his desire for you to cut paths that there's no barrier in your life that can hold you. For you to be able to burst out of every vessel. For you to be above only and not beneath. Part of this fresh start is we have to not only realize that and realize that it's God's will to bless us, but you have to eliminate non-essentials. Everybody say it with me. Eliminate non-essentials. So there's different subtexts of this, but the three categories are simply this. The non-essentials are sins that corrupt our path, things that waste our time, and unhealthy habits. These are the things that we have to identify. So a sin that corrupts your path is not a sin that condemns you, Right? There, there, there are things that we do that are sinful, that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. One of the things that's sinful is those who know what to do, but do it not, to them it is sin. Is there anything in your life that God has told you to do, and you're not doing it? Maybe it's an apology, maybe it's a step, maybe whatever it is. What is God telling you that you have not done? And when it's saying this word sin, it simply means you're missing it. You're off course. These are not sins that condemn you. These are sins that restrict the life that God wants to flow. These are sins that restrict the, the, the potential that you're trying to reach, that God wants you to reach, right? You understand that? So what is it about your life that God is telling you to do that you haven't done? That's an easy one. Where is it? Where is it? Also looking at the roots of those problems. Why aren't you doing that? I was sharing this with First Service. I'll just touch on it here. Is that like for me, like this is the world that I live in, is I'm looking at these things and God has told me to do things and I won't engage it. And I know very distinctly that he's told me to do it, but I find all these excuses to not do it. And so I ask the Lord, I'm like, why do I not do that? What is it, Lord? And he says, you believe a lie that it's not worth the effort. And I'm like, I do. And so I'll ask him, well, who does it matter to? It's like it does seem, doesn't seem to matter to people. It doesn't matter to me. So who does it matter to? And he says it matters to me. As soon as the Lord told me it mattered to him, now I start recalibrating. So the question isn't, I believe this lie that this is a waste of my time. So where's that lie coming from? This is how you unroot this stuff. But there are reasons. These are, these are, this is inner healing and deliverance I'm talking about here. Like what is the lie in me? What prevents me from doing something that I'm consciously aware that I'm supposed to do? God's told me to do it, which means he has something for me there, but I won't do it. And because I won't do it, I'm missing it. I'm missing out on what he has for me, right? And I can't even get there by force of will because there's something in me that just won't do it. Is there anybody here, right? Okay, no, no one, no one understands this, right? What's God telling you and you can't do it? He tells you, do this, but you can't bring yourself to do that. Why? And for me, it's a lie. I believe a lie that it's not worth my effort. I have a value of not wasting time, right? And so I see that this is a waste of time, but the Lord doesn't see it. That's why he's telling me to do it. So I have to find out where's this lie coming from, and I have to unroot that lie. <laughs> you guys are so quiet. That's good stuff. All right, thank you, Mimi. You got to recognize that there's an issue. You got to root it out. Where's it coming from, right? You have to root it out. Another, another area is wasters, right? So it's not just sinful habits or things that God's told you to do that you won't, you won't do. There are people that God tells them, you need to show up in church every day, every week, and they can't do it. They just cannot bring themselves to come to church. Why is that? Why is that? God tells you to do all these different things. He'll tell you, I want you to engage over here. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And we just can't do it. We can't do it. These are the things that rob us of what God wants to do. These are sinful habits. It's just as sinful as going out and, you know, destroying yourself or living immorally. It's just as sinful. You live immorally, and you're going to corrupt your body. You're going to corrupt your future. You're going to corrupt your, your present. You're probably going to corrupt somebody else along the way. This is that type of thing of knowing what to do and not doing it is just in the same category. It causes you to move, move off the mark. Wasters. What's a waster? A waster is the difference between good and great. 
Just because it's a good thing doesn't mean it's a great thing. We have to move away from good things and move on to great things. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. What happens with people in particular, the devil, listen, you want, you want to waste time, the devil will deal you cards all day long. You have to be moved by vision. You have to be moved by purpose. You have to be moved by faith, and you have to be moved by intention. And those things are developed. You have to find out what that is. The enemy will overrun you with human need. Heaven is not moved by human need. Heaven is moved by faith. We are not to be moved by human need. We are to be moved by obedience. Just because there's a need, it doesn't mean you fill it. Just because there's a need, it means you have to listen to the Lord. I'm a pastor. I get this all the time. Everybody wants to tell me what they think I should be doing or who I should be helping and why I should be doing it. It doesn't matter. Isn't it obvious, Kevin? You need to help over here. Jesus walked by a lot of people. It was pretty obvious. He walked by Bartimaeus, and he walked up to Bartimaeus after the blind man, and he goes, what do you want me to do? Isn't it obvious? Jesus doesn't move on the obvious. You know, people want me to do all these different things. If you're moved by empathy, you are going to have a really hard time because human need will overwhelm you and dictate you at every turn. You are not to be moved by human empathy. You're to be moved by obedience. People come to me and tell me, this is what I need to do, and it's obvious, and this is pastoral, or this is whatever, and this is, this is what Jesus would do. And I'll be like, oh, is it? And so I'll like put everybody's notions over to the side, and I'll ask him. Just because it's obvious doesn't mean I need to do it. Right? And it's the same with you. you, you human need will overwhelm you. The poor you have with you always. A lot of times as Christians, we, we are surrogating our families. You are not your family's obligation. Jesus is your family's obligation. And your family a lot of times can't function because you're constantly surrogating them. That's true. And I'll go even deeper. <laughs> Let's go deeper. Are you surrogating them because you get your value and worth out of helping people? If you're getting your value and worth out of helping people, your value and worth is misplaced. Your value and worth does not come from helping people. Your value and worth comes as a son and daughter. And if you don't believe that you say, well, that is where my value and worth, then let Jesus tell you no a few times, empathetic one. And let him tell you no. And he will. Because if you can't say no, and you're always in this mix, and you're always overrun, your life is being dictated to you by human need. And you are being led by human need and not by obedience. We're not led by human need. We're led by obedience. Sounds insensitive in, at a human level. To human beings, that sounds insensitive. But Jesus is not like that at all. It's not insensitive to him. He walked, you know how many people he walked by and didn't heal? Tons. When they came to him and they asked him, he healed them. But he didn't just look at every human need and go to it. You understand that? There's a lesson there. What will happen is these things are what wastes you. They're wasters. Wasters. If you cannot own your no, your no will own you. If you cannot own your, you, this is the way it is. Whatever you don't define will be defined for you. And you got to look at yourself and you got to say, where is it that I'm drawing value and worth from? Am I drawing value and worth because I feel like I have a contribution here? Or is my value and worth drawn from the fact that I'm listening to my father and doing what he told me to do? That'll change everything because you won't be pulled in all these different directions. Paul says we run like, I will not run like a man who beats the air. We run in all these different directions. Wherever there's a need, wherever there's a need, you never feel like you can get anything done, right? Just a thought. Wasters is a big issue, Christian. It's a big issue. Oh, the devil's going to help you. You want, you want somebody to run your clock? The devil will run your clock. You're called with a purpose and a destiny. And while the devil cannot stop you, I told this to a couple people, and they kept telling me, I need to repeat it, so I'll repeat it. While the devil can't stop you, he can run out your clock. He will get you to waste so much time that you, even though you have a calling and a gift and a standard and a destiny and a purpose, whatever your field or your chosen place is, God wants you to rise. Whatever it is, he'll run your clock out. And 10 years will go by and you'll go, where'd that go? He'll run your clock. You have to be moved by obedience and not by need, not the demands of the hour, not the demands of the day. Oh, Say this with me. It's easier to fill my schedule than it is to fulfill my schedule. <laughs> you got that right. 
right? It's huge. It's huge. I've had people tell me I'm indifferent. I'm not indifferent. I'm obedient. I serve everybody. I serve all kinds of people. I'll be here today and I'll be serving people all day long, right? I serve people all throughout the week, but on my schedule, not on their schedule, right? I don't just jump. Oh, can you come to North Miami and meet me? No, I can't come to North Miami. I'll be at church on Sunday. You can meet me out the second service. Oh, well, I can't come to church. Well, then you don't really want me to help you, do you? Oh, you don't care. You don't care. Well, then, you know. (laughs) Unhealthy habits. Say it with me. Admit it and quit it. Whatever's producing the negative thing, just stop doing it. Move on. So here's the questions. Last question. We're going to close right here. Do you believe that Jesus wants to bring you fullness? He does. God's intention for you is to have a fresh start. God's intention for you is to walk in fullness. He wants to give you life and a life that's overflowing. He wants to break you out of boundaries and cut paths for you that don't exist. But it comes to this relationship with him, this deeper relationship with him. Do you believe that Jesus wants fullness for you? Yes. How bad do you want it? Really bad. Really bad. Right. So it comes to those who will do whatever it takes. This kingdom operates and gravitates to those who do whatever it takes. Understand? This is not a kingdom of convenience. So we can talk about Christianity. Christianity and kingdomanity, if you want to, if, I, if that's even a word, are, th- those are two different things. So I want the kingdom. The kingdom is the ruling reign of Christ moving in and around my life. Victory, you know, overcoming power doesn't mean I don't have problems, but the problems don't own me. I own the problems. It might take a little while, but I will own that problem. That problem will be submitted under me. That's kingdom. Christianity is not like that. Christianity is about comfort and ease and convenience and all that other stuff. The kingdom is not that way. The kingdom is not about convenience. It's about desperation. It's about hunger. Blessed in those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you hunger and thirst for what is right to God? That's what it means. Are you hungry enough to pursue what is right to God? Are you thirsty enough to pursue what is right to God? That's the question. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst. Theirs is what? (laughs) Right there. It doesn't gravitate towards convenience. We want it on our terms. It's never on your terms. It's never on your terms. You have to commit to the process. You have to commit to the process. God intentionally, some of you, you start things, you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to look at my financial breakthrough, and you'll tithe for three or four months, and it'll be blank, and then you'll stop doing what God told you to do. But you know what God does? He wants to see if you're serious. He wants to see if you're committed, right? You're half-hearted. Commit. I tell people that want to do financial breakthrough, you want to do financial breakthrough, commit to the full tithe for 12 months and put faith on it. And you tell me God doesn't change your financial situation. Full tithe, 12 months, no excuses. Don't want to hear your sob story. Don't want to hear you crying. I can't afford it. Wah, wah, wah. Neither could the widow woman with the two mites. And Jesus didn't tell her to take her money back, did he? Did he tell her to take her money back? Did he say, I know you got rent to pay? Did he say, I know you don't have any food? Did he say that? No, he said she gave more than all of them. She's paid me honor. She knows that I'm her provider. She knows that I'm her source. She doesn't have excuses. She stops crying. She stops feeling sorry for herself because, again, human need does not move heaven. Faith moves heaven, right? Commit to that. Commit to coming to church. Commit and connect to church for 12 months of your life. Can you do that? And you tell me that after 12 months of being here, if your life isn't changed. You tell me. Do you know how many people I get to come to this church that come from all these other churches and are like, you are completely wrecking my theology? I'm like, high five. I'm glad. Am I dismantling your Christianity? High five. Because we're not Christianity, we're kingdom. We preach the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the earth and then the earth, then the unch shall come. We are called to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of convenience, not the gospel of America, not the gospel of whatever. It's the gospel of the king's dominion. You come here 12 months and you tell me your life's not changed. I'll give you another one. You come here 12 months and you go through every single program we have and you tell me your life's not changed. This mission strip right here that my wife is leading to Brazil. Anybody know who Randy Clark is? Anybody know? Okay, Randy Clark Ministries. 
worldwide, global awakening, extremely powerful. They go all over the world. My wife led a team there last year. She took 12 people, nine, 12, 10 or 12 people. They came to her, Randy's handler, one of these women, came to her and said, your group is the most mature, most mature prophetic group we have ever brought on a team, have ever come with us. This church right here, Global Awakening, said that about this church. Your team is the most prophetically mature of any of the teams we have ever brought. Uh, yeah, exactly. You come to this church, you commit to the processes, you go through our training, you stop giving up all your excuses, and you tell me if your life's not changed. You tell me. You tell me. I know what we do here. I know what brings transformation. The question is, is are you willing to give up your excuses? <laughs> excuses aren't going to change you. Feeling sorry isn't going to change you. Give up your excuses. Put the rag on your head and the knife in your teeth and do what it takes. Commit. Well, I don't know. And uh, uh. <laughs> Biggest complaint Christians have is time. And then their second one, right after that, is money. And you know what I say? Your, your problem isn't neither time nor is your, is your problem money. Those aren't your problems. Your problems are priorities. Time is not your money. Priority is your problem. Priority is your, is your, is your problem. Money is not your problem. Priority is your problem. Well, I don't want to go to Bible school because I see you guys are charging for Bible school and I don't... Maybe it'll mean something to you if you pay for it. You pay for that car, you watch where you park it, don't you? You pay for that iPhone and you're just shining it wherever you go. You buy yourself a case, all kinds of stuff, right? Christians in the United States don't have money. We drive new cars live in luxurious apartments, have iPhone 13, 52s, whatever. It's true. We have every, we, your problem is not money. Your problem is priority. I tell Christians all the time, are you a believer? I don't have the money for it, pastor. And what I want to do is I want to go, tch, tch. put faith on it. Believe God to pay it for you. You made programs I paid for and I didn't have the money? But I knew it was right. It was what God wanted. And I put faith on it. And I said, I'm, I want to believe God for that. And it always opened up. Always opened up. The Lord will commit to your growth. The question is, will you? Excuses. Excuses. Weak, tepid, timid, undeveloped, anemic Christians filled with every excuse in the book. But Jesus loves you. He loves them. The question, is, the question isn't whether or not this is a truth. Or reality. The question is, is do you want to stay there? Right? There's got to come a time where you got to say, you know, look, I've been doing everything everybody else is doing and it isn't working. Maybe I should try something different. Maybe I should think at a higher level. Maybe I should actually step up my game and see what's on the other side of the door. Just maybe. I should give up my excuses. Give up your excuses. Take a year out of your life and give up your excuses. And don't go lame three months in and start crying and sucking your thumb. Right? Get out of the diaper, Christian. Put your pants on and take your rightful place, your sons and daughters, and say, I'm going to give the full tithe for 12 months, right? I'm going to be in the church every day, every week, and the doors are open. I'm going to go through every flipping process that this church offers, and at the end of that 12 months, if you're not changed, you come see me. Uh, you come see me. Don't go, well, I gave for three weeks, and then nothing happened. Or I went to two of the fire starter classes and then nothing happened after the two fire starters. Did you go to all eight? Did you go to all nine? Right? Did you do 12 weeks of the school of prophetic? Did you go to the Bible school? No, I just went a couple of times. <laughs> Ridiculous. You will rise to a level that most Christians, you, if you will do that for a year, you will surpass Christians who've been Christians for 10 years. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. You want to rise exactly. You want to separate yourself from the pack? Give up your excuses. Give up your excuses. Why do you want to be accepted when you can be exceptional? Why do you want to be average when you're called to be exceptional? Don't you want to be elite? Right? Did you want people when they walk in a room, they're like, where did you come from? You know how many times people get in to come from this church and they come and tell me when they visit other churches or even people that have moved from this church to other churches, they're like, where did you come from? Where did you get that from? Where do you get that from? 
all the time. The prayer for me and for you is that you would be like no other. When they encounter somebody from Elevate, they're like, whoa, the room just moved when that person came in the room, right? Or this person carries something that I haven't seen. This, these people are serious, right? That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for these people, for you. It says you would be like no other. You would be like no other. <laughs> Amen? So I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. I'm going to close. I'm over my time. I'm way over my time. I'm way, way, way over my time. But I'm, gra- I'm grateful for your patience in hearing it. Say it with me. Give up my excuses. No more baby games. Come on. Life's too short. What do you got to lose? You got nothing to lose. 12 months, 18 months of your life. Good Lord, how much time have you spent on Netflix? No? How much time have you spent on foolish things that you can't give Jesus a year and a half out of your life fully to see if he'll do something with it? He absolutely will do something with it. You'll never be the same. People won't recognize you. You won't recognize you. I know so. I know so. (laughs) You'll have to tone it down just to be around some people. You will. (laughs) They'll be like, whoa. I mean, I love Jesus and all, but dude, you really love Jesus. Exactly. That's right. Amen. Let me bless you. We have a prayer team available if you need prayer for anything, but I'm over time, so I'm going to just close with prayer and a blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. Okay, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, he's telling me to do it, so I'm going to do it. If you've never given your life to Christ, you're watching us by stream, and you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. You don't understand that life thing that I was talking about. You've never experienced that transformational moment where you're like, wow, I felt like the Lord lives in my heart. If that's you and you've never done that, I, want to give, I would like the privilege of leading you in about a 40-second prayer that can open that door in your life and can give Jesus the opportunity to transform you. If that's you, all you got to do is bow your head and close your eyes. We're all going to pray together. We're going to pray as a team. We're going to pray as a family. It's a simple prayer. Every one of us has a sin problem, the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has what separated us from our Creator. Our sin is what separated us from the life that God gives us in our Creator, and that's why Jesus came. He came to become as us that we might become like Him. He came to pay the price for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death or eternal condemnation, but the gift of God is life and life eternal. And it says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. Amen. Amen. (laughs) All you got to do is open your heart. Nobody can open your heart for you. Nobody can do that. Jesus can't open your heart, but you can. You know how to do that. Say, I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it because you're believing from the heart, not the head. He doesn't expect you to believe from the head. He wants it from the heart. So all you got to do is open your heart and pray the prayer, and I'll lead you in the prayer. So let's just do it. Just open your heart and say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you and all that you are I receive as mine from this day forward I choose to follow you in Jesus name amen now I'll bless you may the Lord bless you may the Lord keep you may the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you may the Lord be gracious to you in every way may he give you peace and forever may you live within his favor in Jesus name God loves you we love you have a great week prayer team available